Well, happy Father's Day. As I was um, reflecting on what uh, the Lord might uh, allow me to preach this morning, I went through Scripture thinking of some of the stories of fathers. I shared with my son uh, that uh, one uh, story that came to mind is in 1 Samuel where Eli is a not-so-great father who has two bad sons who take the Ark of the Covenant out to war, and they not only die in the battle, but they lose the Ark of the Covenant, and when Eli finds out, he dies. And my, my son patiently said, well, that might be a very interesting story, Dad, but probably not the most uplifting. So I kept going, um, and eventually I felt a piece about uh, preaching on the parable of the prodigal son. Um, if you notice the title... Uh, of the sermon, I didn't um, settle on the title Prodigal Son. I would not be the first person uh, to suggest that it's not just the son who seems a little reckless in this parable, uh, but also the father. And there are many who've referred to uh, the father in the parable as the prodigal father. And there's even a song you may have heard of that talks about the reckless love of God. Not everybody likes that song, but I'll, I'll hold off on that uh, for a moment, and we'll come back to that Corey uh, Asbury song a little bit um, later. But in any case, you know the story. Many of you know the story. Uh, the children's sermon uh, went through the parable, and we've heard the scripture read. I often feel after a children's sermon that the, tr- the service should just end right there. Children's sermons uh, often are much clearer in uh, the takeaway from the scripture uh, sometimes than uh, the message that the pastor brings, not Wes Oden, of course, uh, but uh, other pastors. Um, but um, uh, it, this story is very familiar uh, to all of us, most of us. I, I hope if it's not familiar to you that it will be after this morning. There are these two sons. Now, we don't hear about the, the daughters in this story. I assume that's because they're perfect. Uh, and so the daughters didn't need to be mentioned in the parable uh, because they had no problems uh, whatsoever. But there, there are two um, children, um, uh, two sons in this story. The, um, the older son is, of course, seems to be pretty pretty perfect, pretty nice. This is the, the child that you never have to ask them whether they've done their homework because they've already done it. Uh, this is the child that uh, doesn't keep you up at night. Uh, this is the, the child that do, you don't worry about whether they're going to get a speeding ticket or uh, get in trouble somewhere. This is the, this is the child that um, if all of your children are this way, you have great blood pressure. Um, this, this, um, they used to call this older um, son a goody two-shoes, which is not a bad name. I've been called it myself at least a long, long time ago, of course, not anymore. But um, uh, this older, older brother, this older son, um, is the ideal child, or so, so we think. Uh, the younger son, at least not so much, doesn't seem quite to be quite as ideal. This is the, the son that probably doesn't do his homework. Uh, the child that um, keeps you up, perhaps, uh, late at night. You'll notice uh, that I don't have much gray hair, which uh, shows that all of my uh, children are perfect and don't keep me up uh, late at night. But there are, there are times when there, you might have a, a, um, a child who keeps you up, worried, what, where are they, what, what are they uh, wh- why aren't they home? Um, maybe you even get in the car, you drive around, where, you know, worried, is this, is this child um, okay? Um, and the younger brother is that kind of, uh, of a son. And so, at first, you might be thinking, uh, you know, this, this child is so frustrating, um, and yet, but wait, the story, the story is not over. But there are, there are some people um, who, at least initially, don't seem to have any interest in, in God whatsoever. 
They have no, no spiritual uh, interest whatsoever. Um, you may have heard of another of Jesus' stories, the parable of the soils, also called the parable of the seeds. The first seed in this story lands on the path, and the birds snatch it up uh, before the seeds can take any root uh, whatsoever. And it seems to me that the, this particular type of soil is a, is a type of the person um, who has no interest in any, any spiritual things, no interest in God. They certainly have no interest in the liberal arts. Um, this is the kind of, uh, of, of child that I, I call a, a spiritual Teflon head because nothing sticks of any spiritual kind to them. There's just no interest whatsoever. Um, and we might be tempted to think, well, just write them off. That's, that's it for this particular person. But again, wait, the, the story's not over. But Kierkegaard, uh, who's a, a, a philosopher and theologian from the 1800s, talked about stages of development, and his first stage we might call the pleasure stage. And this is the kind of person who thinks only of themselves and what's going to give them pleasure at this particular moment. I grew up uh, in the 80s, uh, and so uh, I sometimes have called this the girls just want to have fun phase. Uh, I will not sing, thankfully, this uh, song for you this morning. You might see me later. But anyway, um, this idea that, that it's just all about me, and it's all about what gives me pleasure in this particular moment. And of course, as we see with this sun, it doesn't end real well. That path may seem um, to be a path of, of excitement and, and fun and pleasure, but often it leads to a certain kind of, of self-destruction. As uh, Hebrews 11 puts it, um, the person who enjoys the pleasures of sin for a season, it doesn't always end uh, great. Uh, but the, the son comes to the father and makes the ask, Father, um, I notice that you're not dead, but could we pretend you are and you give me my inheritance now? Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a, a child, a son or daughter who came to me and said, hey, Dad, I wish you were dead. Could you give me the inheritance? I would be deeply, deeply hurt. Um, there might be some other parents who would be deeply, uh, deeply angered by it. Um, of, of course, this is a story. We, as far as we know, this didn't actually happen. But, but as, as I read the story, the, the father, when he, when he gets this request seems very even-keeled, seems very cool, calm, and collected. Had an interesting, uh, was part of an interesting discussion a, a few weeks ago with Michael Jordan about the word confident. Um, and Michael Jordan was, was talking about how he likes the word confident. Um, and I could see the way he described it as applying to this, uh, to this father. This father, is not, he doesn't melt in, in self-pity. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't cower back. Uh, he doesn't, at the other hand, blow up or, or get angry and, and explode at the sun. He's just, he's very confident. Um, he's not, he can handle it. He loves his son so much uh, that he can handle um, not uh, being offended. Uh, he just certainly doesn't seem to be offended, but he, he listens to his son's request. And in fact, quite surprisingly, he gives it to his son. He gives his son's request. He gives him his son's portion of the property. On the one hand, I'm, I'm struck that he even is giving his son part of the inheritance. You may know the story of Jacob and Esau uh, from the Old Testament where it seems to be a, an all-or-nothing kind of thing. You know, either Jacob's going to get it or Esau's going, going to get it. So one of the first things I'm impressed with in this story is the fact that the father loves all of his children equally. 
He gives an inheritance not just to the one that the culture says you give an inheritance to, the older son, but he also gives an inheritance to the younger son. God loves us all equally. In fact, I was teaching a class once um, and suggested that God even loves Satan. And there were quite a few eyebrows that were raised when I, when I said that, but I see no other conclusion other than that because God is love and that God in, in, in his ideal world, um, Satan would not have rebelled against him. Satan would not have, have fallen, but that's, of course, a different sermon. But, but God is a God who loves all of his children equally. And surprisingly, he gives it to the son. This is one of the, one of the ways in which he seems to be a reckless father. He seems to be a prodigal father, that he would actually give his son uh, this inheritance. Frankly, I wouldn't. Um, not because I'm offended, but because if I had a son, and my son is not like this, but if I had a son uh, who, who was uh, like this son, I would say, son, this is not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for you for me to give you this inheritance now. I know you. You're going to take it. You're going to waste it. And then where are you going to find yourself? And I don't think that would have been a wrong response. Perhaps there's another parable that Jesus told sometime that's not in Scripture, where that was the response of, of the father. But in the parable of the prodigal son, the response of the father is he gives it to his son. And I was, I was reflecting, I was reflecting on this. First of all, there's my second takeaway. The first takeaway that I have from this is that God loves all of his children equally. But the second takeaway is that God doesn't always protect us from our own foolishness. Sometimes God lets us experience uh, the consequences uh, of our choices. But I was reflecting on the father giving in to his son, and it dawned on me what would have happened if the father hadn't given in to his son's request. Well, then eventually the father would have died, and eventually the son would have inherited it, and eventually the son would have squandered it. But then, who would he have had to come back to? Then he might have said, let me go back to my older brother, uh, and at least perhaps could I be a servant in my home, in the home of my, that my older brother is now in charge of. Well, from what we can tell of his older brother, later on in the story, his older brother either wouldn't have taken him back or would have said, sure, you can be a servant, and would have probably never let him live down the fact that he had made such a horrible choice. By letting the son squander the inheritance while the father is still alive, the father is still around to receive him back when he when he realizes the error of his ways, when he wakes up, and when he comes back. I don't know about you, but that's a, that was a profound thought um, uh, that, the, of, of the, the depth of, of God's love. I don't know whether that was part of the original meaning of the parable, but, but it just struck me that that would exactly be part of the character of God. God does sometimes let us go um, and let us spiral out of control. And as I can, as I can see in Scripture, there are at least two situations where the Lord does this. One is the situation of Romans 1, where God lets humanity go, where God lets us spiral out of control. And there's a certain kind of judgment that is the consequence of us spiraling out of control. And in that instance, God knows that there is, there is not going to be redemption, uh, that, that, that there, there is, we have hardened our hearts and God lets us go. But the other kind of letting us go uh, is the letting of us go that we find here in the parable of the prodigal son, where the Lord lets the, the younger son go, hoping, and of course, although God knows all things, 
the father in the parable of the prodigal son doesn't know for sure whether it's going to happen. He hopes. He hopes that his son will learn. He hopes uh, that his, his son will come back. Um, and when his son does come back, he receives him, which is, of course, infuriating uh, to the older brother because he throws, he throws a party for him. But there is the third takeaway that I have uh, from this story, and that is that our prodigal father, our prodigal parent, because this, this story can, has lessons for fathers and mothers, for all of us, our prodigal parent is patient and eagerly longs uh, for us to wake up and, and come back home. Of course, he comes back home, and the reason why the father receiving him back is so angering to the older brother is, of course, the depth of, of the insult that the, and disgrace that the son has brought upon the father and the family and the village. Um, I don't think we often feel this. Uh, at least I didn't uh, growing up, and I, don't, I still don't think I fully understand the shame of what this son does. I, I didn't grow up in an honor-shame kind of context like the ancient world. I grew up in an individual kind of guilt, uh, you know, where you listen to your individual conscience. But that wasn't the culture of the biblical world. The biblical world was an honor-shame culture. This son shames his father, insults his father uh, by saying... I wish you were dead, but since you're not, could you give me the inheritance anyway? He insults his family. He insults his village. Um, for years, the idea of him being caught helping pigs, feeding pigs, I thought, ooh, pigs, dirty, smelly, yucky. You know, and that was kind of the extent of my understanding of this parable. But, but then, eventually, it real, I realized that there are no pigs in ancient Israel. This is one of the ways that archaeologists discover whether a, 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 a finding, a settlement, was actually part of ancient Israel. There are no pig bones uh, in any of the ancient Israel sites. To find pig bones, you have to go to Philistine territory, to some foreign land. So this son in the story has not only insulted his father, his family, his village, he has insulted his people, all of Israel. He has left the building. He has left Israel. He has gone to a different place where they worship other gods. This is another aspect of the story that I didn't quite get. They aligned the gods with peoples. The Philistines had their gods. The Babylonians had their gods. The Greeks had their gods. For him to go to pig territory is for him to leave the territory of Yahweh. He has insulted his God in this story. And so the height of the disgrace uh, that he has brought upon his people is in contrast, therefore, to the recklessness of the father in welcoming him back. What are you doing? This son needs to pay for what he has done. This is a perfectly understandable uh, response that the elder brother uh, has and this is part of uh, part of the reason why this story is sometimes called the story of the prodigal uh, father. Um, I mentioned uh, Corey Asbury's uh, song, which talks about oh the overwhelming, never-ending, uh, restless, uh, reckless love of God. I've occasionally been on Facebook uh, where there have been uh, fistfights over whether or not this is a good song or not, which is very surprising because there are never fistfights on Facebook. Uh, but but in, this, in this particular, you know, the idea is God is not reckless uh, in, his, in his love. Uh, and um, I have to be careful here because my, my wife doesn't really like that song either. But anyway, um, this, this idea that he leaves the 99, well, what about the 99, you know? Uh, but he leaves them to go find the one um, sheep that has gone astray uh, to bring it back. And so the, the father runs um, as, as he sees the son uh, coming, which 
Um, I, I, I am a runner, but, but I, you know, it's not very graceful. It doesn't look very, very good. Um, but in, a, in an ancient culture, certainly an, an older father would not run. You know, this is, this is you don't, what are you doing? Be, be, be respectable. You know, walk. In fact, make him come to you. Um, the, the, the running of the father, I think, would have been very noticeable uh, to the original uh, audience of this, this parable. I've heard it suggested again, we're going beyond anything that the story says, that the father may be running to protect his son from the villagers who may very well want to inflict harm upon him for the disgrace and insult that he has brought upon the village and upon, upon the family. These are some of the reasons why sometimes we, we've heard this, this talk about the reckless love of, of the father in this story. One thing that strikes me is, is that the father doesn't say, well, I'd like to take you back, son, but somebody's got to pay. Uh, maybe your older brother is willing to pay for the damage that you've, uh, you've done here. There, there are certain theologies of Christ's atonement that come close uh, to a kind of mathematical sense of what has to happen uh, in order for atonement to happen. Um, I, I, I somewhat liken it to uh, if there was a unit of sin, that there's an angel somewhere in heaven who's counting up the sinons, the little units of sin. And for every ounce of, of atonement, that uh, every bit of punishment that needs to have, this angel is you know, chick, 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 you know, counting up all of the sinons of all the people uh, that Jesus is going to die for. And then on the cross, God loads the sin gun you know, with exactly the right calibration um, to zap Jesus with the exact amount of punishment so that every last farthing of, of, of punishment is inflicted on Jesus, you know, the, so that Jesus dips his toe in Gehenna hell just long enough uh, so that he punishes, uh, so that Jesus is punished exactly the mathematical amount uh, that has to be atoned for, um, for all the sins that have been created uh, and done throughout all of history. Well, of course, there's nothing like this in the Bible. There is certainly nothing like this in this parable. The Father has the sovereign authority to forgive the Son outright. There are other reasons, I think, uh, why Jesus suffers for us. I love uh, C.S. Lewis's talk about satisfying the deep, doing the deep magic uh, that Aslan's death, Aslan's death does. There's something about uh, a sense of a need to, to satisfy justice that's a valid picture of the atonement, but I'm struck in the story of the prodigal son how the father simply has the authority to forgive his son with no payment uh, whatsoever. Well, the older brother is not happy. The older brother is not happy at all, and we tend to identify, a lot of us tend to identify with the older brother, but I, again, in an honor and shame world, the older brother disgraces his father too. You don't say no to your father. His father tries to get him to come into the celebration and he won't come. He insults his father too. He disgraces his father too. And Terry Page would be very upset with me if I don't now stop and talk about what the original meaning of this parable actually probably was uh, in, its, in its ancient context and in the Gospel of Luke. You see, Jesus' audience knew what Jesus was doing in this parable. And we, we can tell this from the surrounding context of it. This, of course, it's fine for us to apply this to us individually and say there's no, there's no distance from which you go from God that you can't come back. Those are all valid truths. But in Jesus' context, the audience knew well enough 
who Jesus was talking about. The prodigal son represented the the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, the people who weren't even trying to keep the covenant. We like to put sinners in quotation marks, but they were sinners. These were people who weren't even trying at all um, to keep the Old Testament. They weren't even trying. They'd given up a long time ago at even trying um, to keep uh, the the law. But when Jesus came, when Jesus offered them forgiveness, when Jesus offered them restoration, they accepted it. There's there's another parable in Matthew, a, a shorter version Uh, of the parable of the prodigal son that goes like this. There was a father who had two sons that he asked to go work in the field. One said he would, but he didn't. The other one said he wouldn't, but in the end did. And again, what, what are these sons that Jesus is talking about? Well, the son that said he wouldn't go work in the field, but in the end did, are the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners that Jesus hung around with that really annoyed the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the rabbis. They are the ones who are the older brother. And you can see that in the, con, in the, in the pro, uh, process of Jesus' ministry, there is a reversal that takes place here. Those who were on the margins, those who were on the edges, those who weren't trying to keep the covenant at all, they end up following Jesus. They end up repenting. They end up being part of the kingdom of God. But the elder brothers, the law and order brothers, the ones who say there must be justice, but they don't quite understand justice. Their sense of justice is punishment, whereas Jesus and the Old Testament sense of of mishpat, of judgment, is restoration primarily. And so they don't understand it. And those who said they would go work in the field, the ones who were actually trying to keep the law, they were voted most likely to be righteous in high school. These, the Pharisees, the the religious leaders, the rabbis, the scribes, they end up not going to work in the field. And in the story of the prodigal son, the elder brother doesn't end up uh, being a part of the party He doesn't end up being part of the kingdom. I hope that there's an addendum um, somewhere. We'll find it in an ancient manuscript where the elder brother finally comes in. But this brings me to another point, and that is that our prodigal father is God and is not accountable to his law and order uh, children, but he patiently, he's patient with his older uh, son as well. He goes outside. He wouldn't have to go outside. He's the dad, but he goes outside. He tries to reason with the older brother, the older son. He tries to reason with him, and he says, son, um, and he's patient, he's confident. Uh, he's not insulted by the fact that his son uh, disobeyed him or has, has, has not done what he wanted him to do. Uh, he's patient with him, which is another point. Our, our heavenly father is patient with those of us who think we know better than he does, and he hopes that we'll come in eventually uh, to the feast. I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan here as well. You know the parable of, of the Good Samaritan? I think there are some parallels here where there's a man who is mugged um, and he is lying there for dead. And there are two religious leaders that come by, a priest and a Levite. And I find it interesting, there's not a Pharisee in this story. The priest and the Levite both might argue, now there are scholars who say, well, that wouldn't be legitimate, well, we, we make all kinds of arguments that aren't legitimate. The, the priest and the Levite don't want to mess with him. And I can, I can understand that, well, I'm supposed to be clean. 
and this guy has blood, and this guy might be dead, and, or he might be close to dead. I mean, there are scholars who rightly say, well, if they really understood the Old Testament, they would have still helped him. Fine, I understand that. But there are re- we all have all kinds of excuses that we make for not doing the right thing. And I think the fact that, that these are two individuals whose primary whole manner of living had to do with purity rules, they might even argue from the Bible. Can you imagine that? Using biblical verses to try to argue out of doing the right thing? The, the Pharisee, uh, there's not a Pharisee, but there is a Levite and a priest who argue that, well, okay, I shouldn't help this person for, for whatever reason. And the person that helps is a Samaritan. And of course, they did not think of Samaritans as good Samaritans. Samaritans, pick the person that you least want to be the good guy, and that's who the Samaritan is. Pick the person that you, what, but, 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 that you want to say, well, that person's just wrong. Pick that person, and that is who the Samaritan represents in the story. The elder brother in the story of the parable of the prodigal son is like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the good Samaritan. Well, in Kierkegaard's stages, the elder brother is in the second stage. It's a duty stage. It's better than the pleasure stage. The person in the pleasure stage just wants to have fun, just wants to do what makes them happy in a particular moment of time. There is the advantage of the elder brother in that he is a duty stage. He has a sense of rules. These are the right things. These are the things I should do. And the older brother is at least submitted to something that's bigger than himself, uh, this set of rules. The problem, of course, with the law and order son is, is that they often see the rules as more important than the people. And sometimes the older brother takes those rules and uses them as an instrument of oppression uh, for other people who aren't following the rules as they particularly understand it. And so there is a third stage, I think, and I'm not a Kierkegaardian, uh, so his third stage is a leap of blind faith. I don't think that faith has to be uh, blind. But I think there is a third stage, and that's a stage where we submit ourselves to God above our own pleasures, above our sense of what the rules are, but we submit ourselves to the reckless love of God, to a God who is free to forgive those we don't think should be forgiven, a God who wants uh, the, the redemption of others, and not just to make sure that they get their just desserts, to move on to that, that higher stage of submission to the God who loves everybody, a submission to God's love, and a submission to what God chooses to do, and not what I think is the right way to do it. And so I want to leave you today with this challenge, to find yourself in the parable of, of, of the prodigal son. Are you Somebody who hasn't awakened uh, to the, the love of God, someone who hasn't awakened to that, that higher level of, of serving God? Are you someone who is all about making sure that your understanding of justice is done and that if, if somebody doesn't pay the price, uh, then they shouldn't be allowed into the party and you won't go into the party yourself? Or have you surrendered yourself to God's higher and reckless love? That's what this parable teaches us to surrender to our Father, our Father who is full of love.